0: Hey everybody, oh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us here in this room. I thank God we're homogenized and sanitized and disinfected, and I wore deodorant just for you. (laughs) It's about time. Hey, and greetings to those who are with us online. I love you guys. When I was on my study break every weekend online, I loved it. I can worship in the presence of Jesus online, I can worship in the presence of Jesus in this room because my Jesus is unlimited. He is everywhere, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing and it is his heart to reveal himself to each of us wherever we are worshiping him. It's been eight weeks that we've been doing public worship when we start our regular schedule again, it will be 10 weeks. And I, I'd invite anyone and everyone to join us. And if you're newer to Central, you've caught us on the front end of a new teaching series called Unlimited, the life you are meant to live. Jesus said it this way, I have come, oop, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Now, more abundantly in English is two words, but in the language Jesus spoke, it was one word, parisos. And parisos means superabundant. Now, if you have abundance, you have more than enough, overflowing. But superabundance is beyond overflowing. It's unlimited. Jesus says, I want you to have a super abundant experience of peace and love and hope and joy. Jesus says, I want you to have a super abundance of finances. He says, if you give, I'll give back to you a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over and pouring into your lap. Super abundance is the heart of Jesus. That's the way you were meant to live. And so right now, We're going through the exciting essentials. Now, I got to say essentials because they are the non-negotiables of an unlimited life. Last week, we learned the first exciting essential of an unlimited life. Here it is, to fully experience the unlimited life, fully surrender to Jesus. Now, this is not a one and done thing. This is a lifestyle. This is every day a new surrender another aspect of surrender until we are just living day by day, fully surrendered to Jesus and fully enjoying the superabundant life of Jesus. Now here at Central Christian, I want to reveal to you and tell you that the second exciting essential element of the unlimited life has to do with God's greatest miracle. And it begins right here. This is the Bible. This is the word of God, but this is not God's greatest miracle. It's a book of miracles. It's authoritative for this church. We believe it's absolutely true from beginning to end, but it is not the greatest miracle of God. You see, the greatest miracle of God does not begin with the Bible, the written word of God. The greatest, God's greatest miracle begins with the living word of God, Jesus. Now, the mistake most churchgoers make, it's why they come away with uh, wacky ideas from the Bible, and sometimes not so wacky, but just wrong. It's why churchgoers can be mean and grouchy and controlling. They try to interpret Jesus in light of the Bible, That's completely backwards. No, you interpret the Bible in light of Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. In fact, the people in his day, they tried to do the same thing. Jesus said, you guys know the Bible backwards and forwards. You got to memorize, but you don't know me. It's through your ongoing real relationship with Jesus that you are able to understand the written word of God. The greatest miracle of God It's not the Bible. It has something to do, it begins with Jesus, the living Word of God. In fact, it begins with Jesus. Here's how uh, his closest friend, John, when he opened his book on the life and ministry of Jesus, he wrote this way, in the beginning, beginning means when God created, when life began, when the cosmos, when planets and stars went flying into space, when humanity uh, was given a garden, the Garden of Eden, in that beginning, in the beginning, the word Jesus already existed because Jesus was not created. He is forever. He had no beginning. He'll have no end. In the beginning was the word Jesus. He already existed. And the word Jesus was with God. And the word Jesus was God. And you're like, oh man, I can hardly get my mind around that eternal Jesus deal. No beginning, no end. I can get okay. If he's God, he's with God. But how, I mean, if God is God, how can Jesus be God? I'm going to camp on this a little more in a bit, but let me say it this way just to get going. Jesus, the Son of God, the living Word of God, is as much God as God is God. So that, here's the greatest miracle of God ever. The greatest, God's greatest miracle Is the living word of God, Jesus, this eternal God, Jesus, this creator God, Jesus, this all-powerful God, Jesus, being made flesh? John said it this way, the word became flesh. Now, we know, because we know the story, that Jesus became flesh as he was born, a human flesh and blood baby to a teenage virgin named Mary. Now, this is called the doctrine of incarnation, being in the flesh. Uh, The syllable, carn, means flesh, like a carnivorous animal eats flesh, like chili con carne only gets better if you put spam in it. No, carn means flesh. That's why Jesus is called God Incarnate. Jesus is God, yes, but the greatest miracle God ever performed was making his son, Jesus, flesh, all powerful, all knowing, eternal, and he becomes flesh. Here's the way the Apostle Paul said it in Christ, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All the fullness of God in a human body, that was Jesus. Now, Jesus was willing, was excited, was determined, was committed to becoming a flesh, becoming one of us, to do life with us, and most importantly, to do life for us. He was willing to do that, let me show you, to reveal unlimited God to us, Jesus dressed himself and flesh. He wanted us to know God. Everything about Jesus was incarnational. His teaching was incarnational. He he would say, hey, you want to know what God is like? Look at that shepherd who was willing to leave 99 sheep and find the one lost sheep. God will do anything. God will go to any length to find somebody who has drifted far from him. In fact, he leaves the 99 in the wild country just to go after the one that's wandered away. Hey, you want to know what God looks like? He looks like that woman who lost the coin, not worth very much, but tremendously precious to her. And so she searches and she searches and she searches and she doesn't stop searching until she finds that one coin. That's God. And Jesus, you want to know what God looks like? He looks like a father who graciously welcomes home a rebellious, wavered, sinful son. That's God in the flesh. Jesus, all of his miracles were incarnational. Jesus would take his flesh and touch the flesh of a leper. And the leper would be made whole and clean. Jesus would speak human words and storms would stop. His human words, God in the flesh, could control the elements of nature. He would speak and sick people would get well. He would speak and dead people would come back to life. He would spit in the dirt and make mud and put the mud on the blind guy's eyes and the blind guy had his sight restored. Jesus did incarnational teaching. People were blown away. They were amazed. They said, dad, somebody teaching with absolute authority. We'll listen to this guy. We'll live by what he says. And to validate his teaching, he worked incarnational Miracles. And this is why, Central Christian, we are not a denominational church. We are not a traditional church. We we are not a contemporary church. We are an incarnational church. We exalt Jesus so that people see him and love him. Jesus came in flesh, not just so that we would understand God. Hey, you want to know what God's look like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God acts? Watch Jesus. You want to know how God thinks? Learn the thoughts of Jesus. No, he didn't just come to let us see God, know God, understand God. He came in the flesh so that we would fall head over heels in love with God. And that's why we do everything we do here at Central Christian. We are an incarnational church. That's why, why I preach the way I do. That's why we sing the songs we sing the way. We sing them with a band and accompaniment. Everything is to make Jesus real to a world that's lost and far from God, to find their hope, not in money or politics or education or a great job or a good family, but to find their hope in him and let him have have, have an impact on all the areas of life. So the author of Hebrews wrote this way, If I could go back just a second, I'm sorry. You were being so good and I was being so bad. Go back. One more. There you go. Jesus dressed himself in flesh so we can literally experience God. It's not just about knowing who God is. It's about having a very personal and profound experience of God himself. So this is what the author of Hebrews wrote. Okay. This high priest of ours, uh, the incarnate Jesus, God in the flesh, he understands our weaknesses, what we're going through, our hard times, our hurts. When we don't think we can go on, when we don't think we can take another day, he understands it all, for he faced it all, all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin, knew no sin, did no sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Without ever stopping, ceasing, being fully God, Jesus became fully human. And it was our great high priest. You know what a priest does? A priest takes God in one hand, takes a man or a woman, a child in the other hand, and brings the two together. And Jesus, as our high priest, understands what we're going through and can intercede and pray for us to God. He's been through it all. The only thing he didn't do that we've done profoundly and prolifically is sin. Now, the closest followers of Jesus They believed with all their hearts that Jesus is God. And their belief went so deep. I mean, this wasn't just like a a subject they studied. This was so important to them that they were willing to die for this belief. In fact, did die for the belief that Jesus is God. Here's how John, again, in his gospel, he says, we have seen we've actually seen God's glory on Jesus. We have seen the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is the Son of God. He's got the same glory that God the Father has. Before I tell you how John knew, let me show you what Peter said. Peter said it this way. Peter said, we saw it with our own eyes. Jesus resplendent with light from God the Father as the voice of majestic glory spoke, this is my son marked by my love, focus of all my delight. Now where do these guys get this? Both these guys, John, we've seen his glory. The son has the same glory as the father, glory of God on Jesus, glory of God on our heavenly father. Where did these guys get this? Peter says it was, glory was everywhere and there was a voice speaking out of glory. This is my son whom I'm loved, with whom I'm well pleased. Where did they get this? One night at the very beginning of the last year of Jesus' life, last year of his ministry, all of his followers are asleep. It's a dark, dark night. When Deb and I were in Colorado, we were in what was called a dark community. Almost no light So that we could go outside at night, go to an empty field, and just see the stars, the Milky Way, the heavens, like we could never see them here at home. But getting there, you were getting there in the dark. It was dark, dark, dark. That's this kind of dark night. Everyone's sleeping. And all of a sudden, Peter is startled away, opens his eyes, and it's Jesus. Jesus is shaking him, and he's motioned to him. Follow me. And behind Jesus is James and John. And so Peter gets up and here's what happens. Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. Now, because we are an incarnational church, we step into the word of God. We experience with Jesus and Peter and James and John. We're going to climb the mountain in that dark, dark, dark night. And they're going to pray. Now, this is incredibly important because Jesus was made flesh. He left his glory. He emptied himself of heaven. He became a flesh and blood man to show us how to pray incarnational prayers. And as we watch Jesus pray, find every time he prayed in the word of God. Look at John 17. Look at John 11. Every time Jesus prayed, here's what happened. Jesus did not pray his problems. Jesus always prayed the promises of God, even at his darkest moment in the garden of Gethsemane, just hours before his execution. He prayed, not my will be done, but yours alone. If you're telling me there's a resurrection after this crucifixion, if you're telling me that this crucifixion will save Dave Clark and Central Christian Church from their sin, if you're telling me I'll be exalted to your right hand, I will do what you want, not what I want. Jesus always prayed the promises of God. He didn't pray problems. This is a great transition that has occurred in my prayer life. Because I used to pray like this, oh God, help me. And I suppose that's kind of a baby-sized prayer. Help me with my finances, God. I got too many bills, Lord. That's praying the problem. And all it does is make you feel under more pressure and more panicky. You get in praying and you're just as worried as you were before. But what if I pray God, open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing than I have room enough to hold. Deb and I tithe, Lord. We've given you the first 10% of our income. Make our barns overflow and our vats brim over. Make us rich in every way that we might be generous on every occasion. And through our generosity, let thanksgiving spring forth to you. Open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing than we have room enough to hold. That's praying the promises of God. Now there's a precept with every promise. I can't claim the promise of his heaven's opening and pouring out more blessings than I have room enough to hold unless I'm willing to give first 10% of my income to the Lord. That's the precept. Then there's a promise. So I don't pray about the bills. I pray about the promise and he is faithful. Now it doesn't always have to be the first 10%. Whatever a person gives, Jesus says give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together. Running over, pouring into your lap. For with the measure you give, it will be given to you. you so you don't pray the, the, the problem. You, you, you pray the promise, but you got to make sure you fulfill the precept in order to receive the promise. It works in everything. Like say you're sick or someone you know is sick that you love. What does scripture say Psalm 103? The Lord heals all my diseases. Well, what does the word say? Jesus By his wounds, we are healed. What does the word say? On the cross, he bore our afflictions and our sicknesses. And so we pray those promises. Let me show you. Let me ask you. Do you pray, woe is me, your problems? Or or, or do you pray the promises of God, great is he? Say, great is he. At home, say, great is he. Everybody say, great is he. That's how you pray. That's where every prayer starts. Great is he. Greater your promises. In fact, here's the word of God. Whatever God has promised, and there are thousands, thousands of his promise in his written word. The written word tells you the promises, and the living word, Jesus, God in the flesh, answers Every promise, check it out, whatever God has promised, and there's thousands of them, get stamped with the yes of Jesus in Him, in Jesus, God in the flesh. This is what we preach and pray. The great amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. It's the proof that we're praying, not woe is me, God, but great is He. You're the healer. You're the helper. You're my hope. You see, when we pray our problems, we stay stuck in panic mode. Prayer's over, but you're still as upset as you were before. When we pray the promises of God, we shift into peace mode. Worry about nothing, pray about everything with thanksgiving. Ask God for whatever you want, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. Great is He. But the precept is that you are thankful. And he delivers on the promise of peace as you live out the precept of gratitude. Well, here's what happened. Jesus is praying. And as those men, James, Peter, and John, watched Jesus, his appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. Now, can you imagine? It's like being in that dark, dark community with Deb and I, black, black night. So the skies can be seen and they see the face of Jesus in that dark, dark night shining like the sun. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light and suddenly two men were with him. They were Moses and Elijah, a couple of big dogs from the Old Testament who appeared in heavenly glory. Now they're not shining like Jesus, but there's a radiance about them. And they talked with Jesus about the way in which he would soon fulfill God's purpose by dying on the cross for my sin and your sin in in Jerusalem. And and Peter broke in. Peter's like, oh, master, this is awesome. This is a great moment. Uh, What do you think if I build three memorials here on the mountain, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? Huh, how's that sound, Jesus? Can I do that? While he was going on like this, babbling, God knows how to shut up, Peter. A light radiant cloud enveloped them and sounding from deep in the cloud, a voice. From deep in the cloud to deep in their hearts, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen, listen to him. This only has value as we read it, as we ingest it, as we listen to Jesus. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. This is, this is always the desire of God in the flesh, the incarnate Christ, to touch you, to drive away your fear. Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. And, when they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus. Only Jesus. And, and, and so whether we're in the promises of God, we, we we listen to Jesus, we we see Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so then it comes with us. This is how we start our day. And then it goes with us to our work or with our children or in our schools uh, on a walk in our neighborhood. We listen for Jesus. We see Jesus and the only Jesus. Um, This was such a big deal uh, to the very first church. Just as soon as the very first church was born, not that long after, less than two months after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they wrote a song about it. They sang this song every weekend in their worship. And we know the song because the Apostle Paul wrote it down for us to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to tell you the song. But before I tell you the song, this is how the Apostle Paul introduces it. He says, be joined together in perfect unity. Now, how do you think we could obey that? How do you think we could be joined together in perfect unity? I mean, there's Republicans and there's Democrats and Bear fans and Packer fans and white people and black people and brown people. How how do we get to perfect unity? Well, we let go of all that stuff. We crucify all that stuff. And let Jesus be, have the mind of Christ. So, be joined together with the mind of Christ in perfect unity. With one heart, one passion, and united in one love, walk together with one harmonious purpose. Here's a song. Think of yourself. The way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that, the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. He didn't act like he was hot stuff. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And so God elevated him to the highest place, highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I'd like to pray an incarnational prayer over you right now. Would would you stand in your home? Would you stand with me in this room and let me pray a prayer of Jesus' blessing over you? Our Heavenly Father, we magnify, we magnify your name. Great, great, great are you, God. And we, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to join us in this moment. As we celebrate Jesus, God made flesh, who lived a perfect life, knew no sin, did no sin, died on the cross for our sin and was raised from the dead and now offers us resurrection life. Lord, we claim your promise that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We claim your promise that all things are possible with God. We claim your promise that God is love. And so we will love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.